Welcome to LPO, Landing Page Optimization. Landing Page Optimization expert Tim Ash is here to show you what it takes to create optimal landing pages. LPO brings you detailed case studies, opinions, and analysis from the leaders of landing page optimization. Now here's your host, Tim Ash. Welcome back, loyal listeners. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, Landing Page Optimization. And this week, my guest is Pep Laya. He's the founder of Conversion XL, an agency and a blog focused on conversion rate optimization. Welcome, Pep. Well, thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Well, you've been uh, a speaker at uh, many of our conversion conferences in the U.S. and in Europe as well. Obviously, have a, a world of experience in conversion rate optimization. I know that you guys uh, do, of course, a lot of landing page testing. So I thought we'd focus on that today. That sounds right. That yeah, let's do that. Okay. Well, so you know, we we hear this all the time. You know, everybody should be testing. Uh, you know, best practices suck. You know, don't make any assumptions. Uh, and in large part, I agree with all that. But my problem is the way that people are doing testing is basically half-assed. A lot of them shouldn't be doing testing for a number of reasons. And maybe we could just focus on that. In your experience, is that also true? I mean, obviously not the tests you run, but, you know, like how clients mm-hmm. want to approach it or how other companies yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of small businesses, you know, find testing is cool and they see the value in it. But they forget that uh, there's something called math and statistics. So they run <laughs> tests and, you know, once they have uh, 12 versus 17 conversions, they're like, hooray, I have a winner. Uh, well, in fact, they have nothing. So I agree with you. Like people who don't have enough traffic shouldn't even be testing. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that that's actually a huge issue because they go, well, I have a bazillion visitors to my site. And what they don't realize is that the limiting factor is actually – what's being measured in the test or the conversion action. So if it's a sale and like you say, you only have a few of them a day, you know, you can't even do testing. So it's statistically speaking, basically they're getting results that are the equivalent of a coin flip. Well, you know, or you might be 70% mm-hmm. sure that you found something better. That's, that's not exactly something I'd want to bet my business on. Right. And also the tools are kind of doing a disservice. So let's say that they have enough volume potentially to run proper tests and then, you know, uh, we've all had this when VWO or whatever says after one hour, hooray, we have a winner, 95% <laughs> statistical significance. And, and people think that statistical significance is a stopping role, which is a problem. It's, it's kind of this myth that has become so popular that it's even hard to, you know, re-educate people. Yeah, because most of what you're saying is kind of endemic, I think, to all the tools vendors. They're, in a way, properly trying to make a, a good usability experience and make sure their testing kind of dashboards are, are simple to understand. But if you kind of dumb it down to one of these, like, more bars and more places, little graphs, and say, okay, you're done, and that's all you need to know about it, I think you're right. It's doing a disservice. Why do you think there's such a, an ignorance of the math? Well, I think math and statistics are scary to people and they seem like complicated while marketing is sexy and cool and running tests is cool. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's part of it. And and, and part two is just um, ignorance and, and blind trust in tools. You know, you maybe you read something from a, a blog post that a non-practitioner wrote, you know, because we have all these bloggers writing all these A-B testing articles, never ran a test in their life. And, and, and tools, I don't know why they took these product decisions to call winners just based on statistical significance, even though 
if you don't have enough, you know, sample size, if you don't have enough, you know, representativeness in your sample, meaning like testers you know, ran for a couple of business cycles or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a meaningless number. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's okay. So let's tease out those differences. Well, one of the things you said is even if you have the mother of all data rates, right? And you turn on your test, and 18 minutes later, you have statistically significant results. The problem with that, of course, is that that's only valid for that. 18-minute segment, let's say it was on a Tuesday night and that you ran mm-hmm. it, and you can't say anything about Wednesday morning or Saturday afternoon. Exactly. So we're taking a convenient sample, not a representative sample. And what people do and think Friday night versus Tuesday morning is completely different. And it also might be, there might be difference between weeks because, you know, let's say your competitor is doing something that affects users on your website, some other seasonality, a payday schedule, different stuff might affect different um, businesses. Yeah, so for example, payday loans, you know, there's a lot, they're going to have a lot of people lining up for payday loan leads towards the end of the month when they're running out of money. But uh, as soon as they get that first paycheck, the first week of the month, they're going to act very differently, for example, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so my rule of thumb to recommend people is that A, use a sample size calculator. There are lots of them, all free, easy to use. So you know how many people you need per variation based on your uh, conversion rate of the page you're running the test on. And two, run the test for at least two full weeks. You know, sometimes three or four weeks is better, but at least two full weeks. And then once you have those two criteria met, then look at statistical significance. Yeah, and that's that's a great point. So, uh, you know, our guideline is similar. We say for most situations, and and I'll describe the exceptions that, you should run in one-week increments. I mean, always wait a full Mm -hmm. week and don't make a decision midweek. Don't make it after nine days. Run another week cycle if you need to, that sort of thing. So I think, you know, we're approaching it the same way. The, The exception would be is if you want to tease out shorter difference, for example, how people behave at home on the weekend versus how people behave at work during the work week. Well, then you should run essentially two tests and, and only sample during those times. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, times when, let's say, you have seasonal promotions like uh, Halloween or Christmas or Mother's Day or whatever. And then whichever variation ends up winning is probably not going to be useful once the season is over. So for those uh, campaign periods, I recommend doing bandit testing. If if the listener doesn't know, is is a type of test where that tries to maximize the amount of money made per minute. So it's it's it takes kind of longer to figure out which one will be better in the long term, but it starts showing you the variation that's currently winning to more people. So you're kind of making more money in the moment. Yeah, well, there's one arm banded or multi arm banded test. Uh, it's a different statistical sampling technique, but I think you're keying in on the, for me, is something that we basically try to avoid with our clients. We, we tell them, look, if it's just going to have a short shelf life, if you have this two, three week run up to Halloween or Thanksgiving or, or the new year or tax season in March, whatever that is, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not worth it because it's not durable. You should focus on the non peak season traffic in many cases because that's going to be the gift that keeps on giving year-round. Right, right. You know, there could be exceptions where, let's say, it's Black Friday, one day of massive traffic coming in. So, you know, you don't know which variation of your page is going to perform better, so might as well throw throw the bandit in there. Yeah, and then the key point about that, though, is that any results you glean or any learnings you get, you can only apply again in a year on Black right. Friday. You can't right. you can't assume that people the rest of the year are going to act 
you know, weird and incentivized to buy like they are. Exactly. Like so it's, it's about making more money that day, not learning. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not something that, that, that you, that's durable and is going to hold up and you can put up as the winning version on your, on your site. Well, let's talk about this idea uh, just for, for a couple of minutes of continual testing. I mean, uh, some of these optimizations, like some of the banded algorithms, some of the adaptive stuff that we were doing about 10 years ago with our tuning engine, the notion was the test never ends. You're just kind of throwing new versions into the mix and dynamically uh, seeing what's doing better. I mean, is, is it even valid to stop a test, even if it's working? Well, there are a couple of things that might um, start affecting the validity of the test uh, down the line, uh, so things like sample pollution. And sample pollution, you know, it might occur in multiple different ways. So let's say if you have a type of website where users are not logging in, they're not identifying themselves so at work, I'm browsing your site on a Chrome. Then I go home using a different computer. I have Firefox. I might be entered into a different variation or use a mobile phone if you're running the test across all um, device categories. So that causes a sample pollution or might cause. Another thing is people delete cookies either, either manually or a software does it for them. The average number is like 10% of cookies every two weeks or so is a is a number I remember. Um, so if you run a test for, let's say, six months, then how many people that initially saw variation B now two months later get entered to variation C and so on? So that might like skew the results down the line. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to I want to talk about that sampling attribution skewed results uh, after we come back from this break. We'll be back in two minutes after a word from our sponsors. More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. 
Welcome back to LPO, Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, Landing Page Optimization. This week, my guest is Pep Laya, the founder of Conversion XL. Pep, before the break, we were talking about seasonality, pollution of samples, people turning their cookies off, attribution in general. And I think that the thing we have to focus on is, you know, what's good enough. You know, like the U.S. financial system works, well, more or less, with a certain amount of, say, counterfeiting of dollar bills. It doesn't invalidate the whole system. The same way in analytics, we might count someone twice on different devices. When has this become an insurmountable problem and you just have to throw the whole test away? I agree with you. It's all about balancing the risk because, you know, you never, you will never really have 100% certainty. Um, or clean, or clean data. Cases. Yeah, clean data yeah. Is, uh, is, you know. So it's, it's all about managing the risk. So I would say that, you know, if, if your test has run for, you know, six months, then I, I mean, I would have a lot of hesitancy to trust those results. So, and everybody should like run this test on their own, whether you use browser fingerprinting or different ways to to really track the cookie deletion rates on your own site. And uh, fingerprinting is, of course, illegal in European Union. And there are like, let's say, technical hacks and you need to bring in some more technical people to help you figure it out. But you can figure out, the, let's say, the cookie deletion rate uh, on your own site. And when it comes to pollution device, uh, sorry, um, yeah, the device pollution. So I'm browsing your site on a desktop and then coming back on a mobile phone. The easy way to get around that is just separate tests across mobile devices. It will come with it, its own problems, but I would say that there are lesser problems. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. Because sometimes you want to track someone across multiple touch points, and uh, you know, kind of want to have the notion of a, a person, regardless of where they are, interacting with our test uh, and getting a consistent experience across all those platforms. Other times, it's better just to segment, say, run this test on mobile traffic only or desktop traffic only, and you're kind of not even looking at at those crossover effects. So it's mm-hmm. got to be appropriate for your situation. Exactly right. And, you know, if at all possible, to track user ID, make them log in, you know, that will solve a whole lot of problems. Yeah. So, I mean, one of my favorites is make that easy. I mean, if there's any way to have a login with Facebook or, you know, your Amazon account's always on or, or your Google, you know, you're logged into your Gmail or something like that, they actually have pretty good abilities to track that. But more importantly, it's easy for people to already be in that state without you having to ask them. Right, right. But uh, if if people get the uh, sample size and test duration and those things right, they're already much more likely to have more uh, winning tests than not. So just, you know, sample pollution is maybe, it's not something most, you know, especially beginners should really worry about um, in the beginning, you know. Yeah, although except with, like we said, uh, wicked swings of um, of seasonality, you know, if your traffic jumped up because of a holiday or mm-hmm. another th- place I would d- caution people is be very, very careful of testing with emails, especially if you drop giant email drops uh, to the same audience over and over because the whole point of statistics is or it's based on probability in that you're getting new people from the same population. Well, that obviously doesn't apply if you're getting people coming from your email messages after being exposed to them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are other things that might 
let's say, throw off the validity of your test. The number one being sloppy quality assurance work, meaning that your developer or yourself, you, you coded up your test using CSS jQuery, and you only tested it with the browser you had on your computer. So turns out your treatment doesn't work with you know Internet Explorer 9.10 and some Firefox version and some mobile devices. And you run a test, oh, it won, or oh, no, it lost. And you don't track the results across segments, meaning different uh, browser versions and devices. And you yeah. might not be even aware yeah, yeah, I think that's critical, not only cross-browser testing and doing it right, but also tracking. So there's this kind of, as soon as you launch the test, assuming you've even QA'd it properly, you should keep an eye and watch the pot boil, and then in, and you see, oh, wow, you know, none of my Android devices are converting. I mean, is that likely that zero convert? Then you know you have kind of a technical glitch or problem. Mm-hmm. And then, but like you say, there's the other side of that, which is, then don't watch the pot boil. Let a whole week go by and make sure that you've collected enough data to look at, yeah. right? Because a lot of people just kind of keep stirring the pot and hoping for something to pop out and get and go on the emotional roller coaster of, oh, look, it's doing better. No, it's going worse. That advantage completely went away. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think once you set up a test, and let's say it's a non-trivial test, so you're, you're not just testing a button copy a headline so it's it's more complicated like like a layout change or whatever then once you set the test live it's very important to watch the numbers come in during the first 24 hours very carefully and if you see your treatments really underperform dramatically underperform it's the obvious sign of uh, or it's likely that it's it's due to some um, QA issues yeah mis- or a lot of times it's also analytics or miscounting or double counting you know there's, there's all kinds of stuff and once you run a, f- <laughs> a few hundred tests you kind of pro- probably seen them all and they're easy to spot but if you're new to it you're probably going to get bitten by a few of them Right, exactly. Well, and, and a lot of the beginners screw it up by thinking that VWO and Optimize and other other testing tools that have visual editors that that's how you should set up a test by using visual editors. And by using visual editors, the software generates the jQuery JavaScript code automatically. And if you don't know what you're doing, that code is a mess, and it's very likely to cause all kinds of cross-browser compatibility issues. Yeah, and so, yeah, they spit out, some spit out clean code and some spit out dirty code. And why that matters is actually, you know, it may not work across browsers or it's maybe non-standard code. But also, in my experience, um, it affects, like, the order you put the code on the page often affects how the page will display or render. Sometimes there'll be a gap before it loads. Sometimes there'll be a flash of the original version and then an overlay of the new one. And so it actually affects the user experience and and the time it takes to load the page. So you're not comparing apples to apples. A lot of times your control or original version actually has an advantage because it's the only one being served up clean. Mm-hmm. And and also it's I think it's important to know that if you're using the visual editor to set up a test, provided that it's a, it's a non-trivial test, you're kind of doing it wrong. You either need some front-end coding skills or you need a front-end developer to help you set these tests up. Well, yeah, I, yeah so I think that that's a great point. I mean, I, I, in a way, what most of the split testing tool vendors will tell you is like, oh, it's easy. You don't need any technical chops or programming skills. You know, it's all visual. But what I hear you saying is in practice, you still need someone on your team that can 
go through that code, make sure it's clean, make sure it's working properly. You can't trust the code that's spit out by the tools necessarily. Exactly right. And then let's say if you do more dramatic layout changes or you, you change the way the you know, e-commerce checkout works and, and stuff like that, then you do it within the testing tool itself. You, know, you, you can't just use the visual editor to do like highly complicated changes. Yeah, I think there's basically just the way that, that we look at it. Through, there's three levels. There's things that can be done visually. There's things that can be hand-coded in code and still done on the front end. And then there's actual functionality changes. Let's say you wanted to change your whole checkout flow. Well, you probably need to get your programmers involved to have a different version of your checkout. You know, it's not about layout anymore. It's about completely different staging of what are the steps, what form fields are in each one, what error checking you're doing behind the scenes. That's nothing you can ever hand code. Right. All right, well, we're going to take a, a break, our last commercial break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. And, Pep, I want you to think during those two minutes of the weirdest thing you've ever done outside of work that you'd be willing to talk about in public. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in two minutes after a word from our sponsors. More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. Internet Marketing Inc. designs fully integrated digital programs that improve brand experiences and grow businesses through valuable data insights and strategy across all types of media. Paid, owned, and earned. Their digital experts nimbly adapt strategy by providing you a comprehensive view of your brand's online audience and program performance. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Welcome back to LPO, landing page optimization, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, landing page optimization, speaking with Pep Laya, the founder of Conversion XL. Pep, now I know you were uh, born in the former Soviet Union, like, uh, like I was, mm-hmm. from Estonia originally. I'm sure you've had an interesting life. You now live in, in uh, beautiful Austin, Texas. What is the weirdest non-work thing you've ever done? 
I guess the weirdest stuff I really can't disclose here. Uh, <laughs> okay, that you'd be willing to admit in public. <laughs> oh, my, I don't know the kind of weird you're really looking for here. Is it like creepy weird no, no, or you're, funny you're weird? Whatever, whatever weird you got. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to be a singer in a metal, uh, punk metal rap band. And, that works. Uh, that works. Tell us about that. How I was, uh, I had, uh, my head was shaved from the sides, but I had like, a, let's say, a, a ponytail. It was like the weirdest thing. <laughs> So is that uh, kind of like a mullet, a punk mullet? Uh, no, it, it was more stunning from the center of my, from the top of my head. So it was like, um, I don't even know what you call it. So it was just a ponytail and the rest of your head was shaved kind of. Right, exactly. Oh, wow. exactly. Okay, and then, now I'll get uh, the picture. <laughs> I do have some photos. It did not look horrible uh, or so I remember. <laughs> Yeah, and then we did this band, and it was great. We were living the dream, uh, you know, smoking and drinking and, uh, you know, singing. Right on. All right. A walk on the wild side with Pep Playa. So, Pep, if we're, let's switch gears. You know, we've been talking about what kind of what not to do. But for somebody that's interested in kind of cleaning up their testing program or wants to start out on the right foot, can you give some quick tips for uh, how to do it right? Mm-hmm. What should you pay attention to? Three things. So first of all, we, we need to understand how do we measure the success of our testing program. And I think it's three, three things. Number one, the number of tests you run, you know, because if you're not testing anything, you're not learning, you're not improving. So that's one. Two is the percentage of winning tests. And three is the impact per successful experiment. And those last two points are all about testing the right stuff. So my advice would be that Stop testing random ideas. Stop determining your next test by asking people in your office, like, oh, what should we test next? You know, if you ask that question, you're already doing it wrong. You're setting yourself up to testing something completely unimportant. So a good way to improve the, the pool of insights that you have is talk to your users. You know, it's amazing to me how many people don't do that. Yeah. And there are some really, and if you're afraid of calling them, bothering them, you know, you don't even need to do that. So some two, two easy ways to do it. Let's say you run an e-commerce store and uh, you have product pages. You want more people to add products to the cart and you don't know why they don't do that. So you could use a tool like Hotjar or Qualaroo or one of those, a VWO now has a polling tool. So basically you put a poll onto that page asking them, then that, that poll is triggered maybe after a minute, after they exhibit some exit behavior or something, not right away, and asking them, hey, is there anything holding you back from buying this product right now? Yes, no. And what, if they choose yes, then ask them for an explanation. Uh, typical response rate for that kind of a thing is like between 2 and 4%. So if you let it run for like a month, you get enough sample size. And you learn stuff that you wouldn't think about. Yeah, and that's, that's the, and the point of that isn't statistics or even sample size. It's just to get insights. You know, they're qualitative. People are telling you something. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't. It's not mm-hmm. like you need tw- twenty people to tell you the same thing. Yeah, know? yeah. One is better than zero. You know, and typically, I think uh, what I see is that if you get, let's say, up to two hundred, two hundred fifty responses to a question, you only still see like five to seven types of responses. Yeah, and then you can kind of see the larger patterns and the the groups or buckets that they follow. Yeah, yeah, and and there there is a well, you know a law of diminishing returns kicks in that let's say you have five thousand responses to this survey, you still get five to seven types of 
responses. So like getting to 100, 200 responses will be plenty to start seeing patterns there. So that's one. So polling your website visitors. And two, really uh, great thing to do to um, see what your users think is that email people who just gave you money, who just signed up for software, uh, bought something, um, became a lead, you know, whatever it is. So email them, either you, you survey them on the thank you page or within the seven days when they still freshly remember their purchasing experience. And you ask them questions about the friction they experienced in their mind. You know, like, what was the one thing that nearly stopped you from buying? What doubts, hesitations did you have? Yeah, you know, yeah, kind of it, it, yeah great points. I mean, I think that uh, we're going to need to wrap on this, but I think that we're both big fans of actual voice of the customers that are just mm-hmm. living inside of your own echo chamber in your online marketing department. So I think we're going to have to leave it there. Pep, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Just go to conversionxl.com. There's the blog, my contacts on that. Good stuff. All right. And that's conversion, the letters XL, not Excel as in get better uh, or Excel as in the spreadsheet. So conversionxl.com. Thank you so much for sharing with our audience. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks, Tim. And loyal listeners, we'll see you on the flip side. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.